Hi, welcome to Building a Business That Lasts. My name is Jay Owen, and I'm your host. On a quest towards stories, tips, and ideas that will help you grow a business without being stressed out, worn out, and ready to quit. Each week, I'll interview other business owners who have successfully grown businesses of all types for many years. It's my hope that these conversations will help you build a business that lasts. On this episode, I interview Andy Graham. She is the founder, CMO, and managing partner at Big C, a digital marketing agency founded in 2005 in St. Petersburg, Florida. Big C works with organizations at all stages, helping entrepreneurs and organizations build and grow their businesses. Big C's clients include the University of Tampa, the City of St. Petersburg, the Home Shopping Network, and more. She has a bachelor's degree in sociology, another in visual art. She's a graduate in sociology and a master's degree in mass communication with a concentration in strategic communication. I first met Andy several years ago at an event with other agency owners around the country and just uh, really loved her passion for business, for marketing, and for her team in the city of St. Petersburg, and really excited to bring you this interview with Andy Graham today. Andy, thanks for being on the show today. Hey, thanks, Jay. Happy to be here. So you and I met a couple of years ago at an owner summit, I believe, uh, a bureau event of other agency owners around the country, and um, just got to have a conversation. You were actually speaking at that event, and you're down in St. Petersburg. I'm up in St. Augustine, uh, both in Florida, so both uh, Hurricane City lately. And I really just uh, loved your passion for your business and your uh, area of the state and uh, your team and the work that you do. So I'd love to have you kind of just give a little bit of background on um, kind of your entrepreneurial journey, like how you decided to start Big C in the beginning and um, kind of what led you to where you are today. Uh, thanks. Yeah, we definitely uh, had a, a strange happenstance encounter in Texas when we were both coming from Florida. I thought that was kind of funny. I started Big C back in 2005. I actually was doing, I had always been the person doing design and marketing for every job I had, even starting almost right out of high school. Um, and I went to school for advertising um, in back in Minnesota in the 90s. And then I moved to Florida and I got a job working in marketing for a small uh, university and college down here in, in St. Petersburg, Florida. I started doing freelance design and, and marketing consulting for the husbands and wives of my uh, fellow team members. They would refer me out for their friend who was opening a spa or a salon or their husband who's a realtor or somebody who needed a little bit of design or web assistance. Um, so it kind of became a side business more than anything. And I had a great boss who kind of saw that the direction I was heading was probably not somewhere that the the college could take me. There wasn't a position that was sort of the direction I was moving. And so he actually encouraged me to to leave the little nest I was in. I was really comfortable there. So he said, you know, you need to go do something else. So I took a position at a traditional advertising agency and um, started a master's degree at the same time. So I was working on a master's in uh, strategic communications, and I was kind of slowly growing my my freelance clientele as well as managing this digital side of a traditional ad agency. Unfortunately, the ad agency didn't really know too much about running digital or how to sell it or how to talk to clients about it. Um, so they didn't put me in front of clients enough to, I think, make a difference. But that gave me the opportunity to, to really grow what I was doing on my own. So in 2008, I was just finishing my thesis and was actually pregnant with my daughter and made the decision to uh, quit that job and take my freelance business into a full-time career um, and start my own business. So 
Um, I had already been working with a bunch of freelance developers on some complex projects. Um, I had a good roster of clients, but it just happened that one fell into my lap almost a month before my daughter was born that would be financially enough to cover, you know, losing an entire income. So a little bit crazy. I had a newborn come into the world and I left, you know, health insurance and a stable income and all those things at the same time, but it seemed to work out pretty well. I tried to work from home with her for about eight months and realized I'm just not cut out to be a stay-at-home mom. And I've come to terms with that. And I moved into a small office. I hired two employees, a full-time developer and a part-time designer to help me out. And that was the sort of genesis of of Big C as an actual business. So that was August of 2009. Um, and since then, we have grown. We're 24 now uh, with a, a few different contractors that help us out on a, on a very regular basis as well. So we are constantly growing. We've always got somebody who's sort of half in the agency that we're kind of reeling in till we're ready to hire full time. And it's grown incredibly since then, um, mostly attributed to doing good work and being out in the community and talking to people and getting to know people, in my opinion. So that's really that's cool. My, that's um, my story. I had never really intended to be an entrepreneur. I was always an entrepreneurial person. So every position I was in, I was the person who was looking for more and different and better ways to sort of grow whatever we were doing or to shore up processes or to sort of take ownership over, over whatever it is that was happening. But I, I never really planned to, to do it the way I did, I think. Um, it kind of happened accidentally. So ironically, I was actually going to ask you about, you kind of finished the sentence right when I was about to ask you a question, which was, did you visualize where you were going to be now? You know, when you first started to 24 employees, it's still growing. Was that something that you visualized? And you kind of answered that by saying it just kind of happened. I always think that's kind of interesting. But do you think there were intentional moments along the way where you kind of go, okay, I'm at three people now. You know, do I want to go to six? Do I want to go to 12? Like, how did that kind of work for you? Because I think that team growth thing is really interesting for me because we've grown a lot over the last couple of years and it's always kind of hard to figure out where I'm supposed to be and where I want to go and, and what the value of that is over time. Unfortunately, I don't think there was that at all. I think that our growth was very organic and it happened to had to do mostly with the types of inbound projects that came to us. I don't think that I think my weaknesses as a business owner are very much in sales and in um, sort of the growth orientation and, and structurally looking at it from a business perspective. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm really good at marketing and I'm really good at conversational selling at, at being somebody that people trust. And I'm really good with my team. I really enjoy what we do. And so we do good work. But I, I don't think that I had the the prowess or the the experience or the even the the consideration to really plan growth. I was happy. And I, I know we talked about the fact that comfort is often the the enemy of growth because I, I was comfortable. And so growth was very organic for me. It wasn't something I was striving for, even though I did start following and paying attention to other agency owners and reading every business book you can imagine and things like that. I just didn't have, I, I've always had a great life and, and we touched on work-life balance just a little bit, but that to me was the the important part of what I was doing was that I had a very young daughter. I wanted to be able to spend time with her and take days off now and then and do the things that you know parents enjoy doing. And so that was the life I had built for myself. I think she's a little older now. And so I've got a little bit more freedom in, in time. And so we're really focusing on growing and that's where that led. So, yeah, I think that's it's just interesting because I think so many times 
just people think that there's these grand plans in place. And sometimes there are, but I know at least for me, I'm kind of on the same journey where I just kind of take it as it goes. And I think one of the things you highlighted there is really important for a lot of business owners, which is just to know your weaknesses um, and, and know your strengths too, but know the areas that you go, hey, these are things I'm not good at. And like for me, I've tried to be more intentional, you know, over the last couple of years of kind of hiring to my weaknesses yes. and knowing like, hey, these are things I'm, I'm probably never going to be good at. They're just not inherently me. And there are things that I am really good at. And so I want to spend time on those things. Um, kind of that idea of taking myself from a seven to a 10 in some areas versus trying to go from a one to a three um, <laughs> in others is kind of how I think of it. I like that. So growing a team is always interesting um, and difficult because whenever you bring other people and personalities and lives into uh, the picture, um, it changes things and it's hard and it gets messy, whether that's a personal relationship or a business relationship. And so I'd love to hear from you as you started to grow your team, maybe some of the successes, some of the difficulties that you had in, in finding the right people and knowing, hey, this is the right person for, for what we need here as a company. And they've been able to kind of maintain that over time and grow it. What kind of things have stood out for you um, in that team growth area? That's a great question. I have had, I think that's one of the biggest places I've learned a lot of really valuable lessons. I'm a really friendly person. And so I get along with everyone really well. And that makes me want to hire people quickly because we immediately form friendships. Um, mm -hmm. One of the worst hires that we've had at this agency was somebody who we met and adored. And we actually met her out for beers one night. And then we ran into her on a night out with me and one of my partners and a couple other employees. It was actually after one of our monthly events called Fun Fridays. We were going to see um, some live music and she was there. And so she ended up drinking with us and we were all having a great time. And we went back to the office on Monday and we were, you know, absolutely certain we had to hire her. She fit right in yada, yada. And it was a terrible decision. She was just not right for the position at all. She did not have the background or knowledge for the level that we had hired her at. It was, it was, a, it was an awful, it ended very poorly for everybody. It was a really rough situation. <laughs> so my one lesson is to never hire based on going out for beers with somebody again, because that just doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't a, a great, you know, marketing director make or whatever we need. So not that, you know, there's that, but then there's also the, um, my partner likes to call it, who would you want to spend six hours in an airport with, right? So if you're, mm. you're stuck traveling on a trip and you're, you've got six hours to kill, you want somebody who you can sit next to and engage with and have a good conversation with. So um, we have that too. So there's, a, there's an interesting balance between liking the people you're surrounding yourself with, having a, enough diversity in the group so that different points of view are represented and different work styles and different um, attention to attention to different uh, areas of work. Um, and then also, you know, having that sort of knowledge base and background and, and experience that needs to come in as well. So, so yeah, hiring to your hiring to your weaknesses, I think is really important. And I think I've finally felt uh, strong enough to do that in some of the areas that I have been a little less um, proud to be not strong in. I've always been very clear about I'm not the best designer, I can hire a better designer. Um, I'm not the best developer, I can hire a better developer, you know, those sorts of things. But when it comes to sort of running the business, that's been a, a point where I thought I was doing really well until recently. So, um, mm -hmm. but you know, so I merged with another agency two years ago. And that to me was a perfect triangulation of where my weaknesses were. I met these two people who owned a similar agency that was on a similar path. Um, and the three of us kind of made this perfect triangle of all of my weaknesses that were filled by their strengths in some way, which has been exactly how it's worked out. To be honest, it's been, it's been really great. So. 
I love that. And I love your just humility and kind of saying, hey, these are the areas that I knew that I wasn't good at. And these are the areas that I'm finding out that I'm not good at. Because I think that's been one of the biggest things for me, too, is just one of those, wow, I really thought I was good at this. One example, for example, is I have been reluctant over time to just hand over a lot of my QuickBooks duties. I'll, I have like a bookkeeper that does the general, you know, reconciliation. I have an accountant that does tax strategy, but like just general, like basically accounts receivables, accounts payable, I've always held on to. And the problem with that is that I'm not very detailed oriented. Like I, I never have been. And I, so I don't know why I thought it would be a good idea for me to keep those things. So not that long ago, I brought in a new office admin and she's taken over all those things for me. And she's found all this money <laughs> <laughs> that basically like either wasn't being billed for, wasn't being billed properly. I missed some, and I'm like, man, I messed this up. And I think being willing to also say that to your team of, look, like I'm going to mess stuff up. And when I do, like, I'm happy for somebody to catch me on that and help redirect just like anybody else would need to be redirected. Cause I want to, I want to get better all the time. So yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. No kidding. Um, when you had that team member who you realized, man, this was the wrong choice here, was that relevant? Was that apparent to them as well or just to you or was it apparent to everybody? I think it was pretty apparent to every, well, I, you know, probably not everybody because we have some, I don't want to say silos, but we have very specific teams here. So we have a design and dev sort of group and then we have a marketing group and they they overlap some, but not a lot. And so she was working on one of the teams without a lot of crossover between. And so I don't think everybody could see her failure, but the people on her team definitely saw the failure. And um, yeah, I'm very close with a couple of them. And so there was a lot of talk around how do we handle this? What do we do? How do we move work to her that makes sense? And at what point um, do we we have to just sever ties and, and let her go. Um, so there was a lot of that. I think she knew, I, I don't think that I handled it as well as I could have. We had a lot of talks around what needed to happen and what needed to grow. And I think she put a lot of undue stress on herself and was working a lot of extra hours, which is something we don't encourage. And so then I was getting frustrated because she was putting so much extra time in and it wasn't the time that was the issue. It was the approach that was the issue and, you know, sort of things like that. So it definitely dwindled, but she was only with us for about five months, if even. So um, it was a it was a live wire, and then it was quickly uh, extinguished. So, so one of the things people always ask about is, you know, the one thing that nobody really likes to do, at least uh, I don't think anybody does. I certainly don't. Is when you get to that point where you do realize, okay, I have to let this person go, and and sometimes people choose to leave, and sometimes you have to choose for them to leave, and when you had to make that decision, and I'm sure you've had to do it probably a couple of times, <laughs> is what you know, what kind of strategies have you used that have worked or maybe things that haven't worked that have helped you kind of gracefully let go of someone in a way that, you know, kind of holds your own character integrity intact and also doesn't damage the morale of the rest of the team. Because whenever somebody leaves, unless it's extremely apparent to everybody, it can always be that kind of uneasiness of like, oh, wow, who's next, you know? Um, And how have you dealt with that over the years? We have not, I think luckily for us, the people who have been let go have been let go for very obvious reasons. And I think it was clear to the team that they needed to go. And I think that also our error is always on letting people stay too long, not letting them go quickly enough. Um, and so a lot of times when we've let somebody go, everyone has kind of sighed this collective, you know, relief of, of, of finally, you know, why was he here so long or why was she here this Mm -hmm. long? So, so there's that piece of it, but at the same time, I am terrible at this. And I, I remember going to my first, um, owner camp, which is a meeting of, of agency owners, I think maybe five years ago or so now. 
And I was really struggling with one particular employee that I knew needed to be let go. And I had to sit down with three or four other owners and just sort of pour my heart out to get sort of, how can I phrase this? How can I approach this? How can I do this? He was the first person that needed to go because he just wasn't a good culture fit for us. He was really negative. Everything was bad. He was fantastically talented, but incredibly just difficult, really difficult to work with. And everything that we'd tried fixing and everything personal I tried to put out there just wasn't happening. And so um, that was the first really, really, really tough one. Uh, so mm. I, I met with, um, there's a, a woman who works with a lot of the, uh, agency owners and business owners, and she does like leadership counseling and coaching and things like that. And she had some really good conversations with me around this time, talking about letting it go, letting go of the personal aspects of it and making sure that you understand that this is that letting this person go as soon as possible is best for their career as well as for your agency. And so knowing that it's not a personal issue that these, that this person is probably, suffering under, you know, a bad situation and could fly somewhere else. So let them go so that they can succeed worse and in another position with another company that's a better fit. So that made me sort of come to terms with feeling better about, you know, severing those ties, but it's always still hard when there's um, somebody who's got two kids or that's their family income and, and things like that. So that's always really tough. Um, but I've had to sort of let go of the, of the emotion that's behind it. And really, and, and that's tough because I'm an emotional, emotionally driven person. So, but you know, my, my decisions to let somebody go have never been emotional. They've never been based on, I don't like somebody. It's always been, you know, a, a clear decision path, um, something that's led us there. So. I totally get that. I think one of the hardest things for me in those situations is, you know, I put so much pressure on myself because I think, well, I'm the one that hired this person. I'm the one that said this person is good enough for this role and put them in this space. And so I think I put so much pressure on myself to say, I can find a fit for them. I can make them work. I can make it work. And and ultimately, that this doesn't always work. Yeah. <laughs> and And I think it's it, to some extent, it's my own pride of going, gosh, like, I brought this person in. I want to fix it. And there's also the heart issue because like for us, you know, our, I know your team's very similar in that our team's really close. Like we do a lot of fun things together and it's not like one of our core values is joy. You know, I, I don't want people to hate Mondays. Yeah. Work is a place where like I want people to come in and do things that they're proud of that they can look back on and be like, man, look at that, you know. But those hard situations and hard conversations still have to happen because I think one of the things one person told me one time was – he said that he held on to an employee too long and it really affected their overall culture. And he said he was focused so much on that one individual person and trying to help them. He didn't realize that in the process he was hurting everybody else. And that as a, as an owner or, you know, a leader of an organization, our responsibility is to take care of the entirety of the organization, not any one person, but it's still hard. Like there's no easy way around it. Yeah. And that that's exactly our story. The hardest person I've ever let go was with us for a very long time. And he had sort of grown with us, um, started with me when I was really small. I think he was like my third or fourth employee. And we were transitioning to Agile about a year ago. And so we were changing the way we were tracking work and tracking planning work and, and everything that was going on. So it was a huge undertaking. We'd done all kinds of research and planning to get to this point. And we had this great meeting with all the developers and designers. And we were saying, here's how we're going to ask you to be doing these things from now on. Here's what we want you to do. Can we get buy-in? Is everybody ready to go? And everybody around the room's nodding and going, yep, yep. Okay, we'll do it. We know it's going to be a little bit more work and it's going to be tough at first. And this guy who was um, a leader in the company just grumbled and goes, huh, whatever, you know, and I, we, he, my partner and I looked at each other and I thought, 
if we don't have him on board, who's leading all these other people, this is, you know, we've been talking about it for a long time, but it's time for him to go. Um, you know, he needs to be supporting us in these big endeavors. So it's tough. Um, yeah, we can't, you can't cater to one person. It's, it's, I've got 20 people out there who need, you know, to need to feel supported and need to feel like their contributions are important and that the things we're doing are in their best interest. So. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I want to circle back to, you talked about going to an owner camp multiple years ago and having the opportunity to sit around with other owners of similar agencies and have a conversation. I think somebody listening to this might think, well, it's kind of strange because it sounds like, you know, Big C and Design Extensions kind of do the same thing. And we pretty much do different cities and different areas and everything else. But I just greatly respect the work that you do and and the work that your team does. And so for me, like, it's not about competition thing there's so much value in learning from other people and i would just encourage anybody that's listening out there who is involved in any type of company or business if you're not already engaged in some type of organization where you're able to connect with other owners or leaders in a similar field um, that has been for me one of the greatest most valuable things you kind of mentioned it as like a counseling session and there's there is a lot of that Some sometimes you just need somebody else to go hey you know what you need to yep. do you know and somebody else who's actually walked through it before. So I would just encourage anybody out there who hasn't doesn't have anything like that currently, definitely seek it out because that, that's been a huge benefit to me over time. And it sounds like it has been for you yeah, too. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's interesting in our industry because coming from the digital world, we're so used to open source, right? We're so used to sharing information and using Stack Overflow and solving problems and then sharing those solutions for everybody else in our industry that I think the agency owners have adopted that as their process as well. I mean, this is one of the most open and and sharing communities of business owners I've ever encountered because as I'm sure you do, we work with business owners across millions, hundreds of different industries. And all of them are, we can't share that. We can't talk about that. We can't, we would Mm -hmm. never do that. And I'm thinking, well, if you're not doing it, one of your competitors is going to be doing it. And you know, that you can only bring value. Yeah. And I always tell people too, it's interesting. People are like, well, don't don't share my secret. I've got a client who um, does some great work and, and has a really good strategy actually on his own from, from a marketing side. He's like, well, don't tell us anybody else. I'm like, you actually hired us to make sure that everybody else does know what you're doing, <laughs> you know? And, and it's funny because in his case, particularly the, the idea is really sound and really good, but it's really his execution of the idea that has the most value. And, and I think that a lot of times people, I mean, I'm sure you deal with this all the time where somebody comes in and they have an idea, but there's no execution behind it. And it's very hard to kind of give that wheels to, to get it moving. Yes. And that's just always kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, Anybody can have ideas. Anybody can talk about those ideas, but execution is really tough. And then I'm reading a book by Joe Polizzi right now called Content Inc. And he is he's a really wonderful content strategist. He runs the Content Marketing Institute. Um, he's I, 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 I totally adore him. But in the book, one of the things I'm reading about is, uh, I think it's Malcolm Gladwell who wrote about the fact that um, the only thing that's a differentiator anymore is we're all designing websites and we're all doing these things and they're all very similar. We're all selling insurance or we're all, you know, fill in the blank. Um, But the only thing that, that can differentiate us to potential customers is our communication. And so even though we're executing maybe differently, if our if we can't communicate how we're executing differently or what we're doing differently, um, then we can't get that message out anyway. So to me, that communication aspect was really interesting to read about as a communicator that we need to focus on communicating differently and communicating in many different aspects of what we do, not just our marketing communications, but across all customer touch points. 
So focusing on that as well. I liked it. Yeah, absolutely. I always um, say that one of the biggest problems in just about any relationship, whether it's business or personal, is, is expectations and misplaced expectations. And and I love to say that communication is the bridge that connects expectations. Um, because if, if I think one thing's going to happen and you think another thing's going to happen and we haven't clearly communicated that together, we're going to have a problem. And and I think that that's one of the things I just I just couldn't agree more with, with what you're talking about there. I definitely will check out that yeah. book, Content Yep, Inc. absolutely. Um, one thing I'd like to circle back to that you mentioned earlier was Fun Fridays. I, I know one of the benefits that um, I, I think that we have as being digital agencies, at least it seems this way, is, is for some reason there's like more freedom in, I don't know, doing fun things, maybe even more expectations in doing fun <laughs> things. Um, but although I think it could cross over to a lot of industries and people just don't do it. But I'm curious from your perspective, internally, your culture, your team, you know, what do you do other than just work? And 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 how do you kind of balance that so that it doesn't become all play and no work internally uh, as a team? What, what kind of things do you do that, that have worked for your organization to keep culture balanced and, and still have fun, but also get work done? We... Um, so before we merged with the other agency, we had a sort of random schedule of happy hours and we would do catered happy hours and we'd invite clients and we'd invite spouses and kids and you name it. And we'd kind of do them probably four to six times a year. Um, in addition to random happy hours and things like that. So happy hours and sort of just hanging out and making time for socialization has always been a part of our culture. When we merged with the other agency, they had a longstanding tradition of doing what are called Fun Fridays. And it's the last Friday of every month, and they schedule an activity or an event, or sometimes it's just video games and beers at the office, and that's fine too. So last month, they all went uh, windsurfing. I was out of town. I was at a conference. But they all went windsurfing, did windsurfing lessons. We have a client that does windsurfing. This month is uh, obviously pumpkin carving and a Halloween party. <laughs> uh, for Thanksgiving, we always do a um, Thanksgiving potluck where everybody brings a dish. And for Christmas, obviously, we have the holiday party, uh, traditional holiday party. But making time for that and people actually making it important to them and putting it on their calendar. They bring their kids. We always have it. It's always family friendly because a lot of us have children and families um, and spouses and we don't want to give up that time. So we, you know, usually I'll set out coloring books or whatever it is for the kids or we'll go somewhere that the kids can join us. Um, so that has been important. We do a lot of, you know, celebration of each other and just general, you wouldn't believe how many people who work here hang out with each other all weekend anyway. So, um, it's almost, you know, it's, we have two, a lot of family members that work with us. We've got spouses, we've got, you know, everything going on. So that piece of the culture has always felt very easy for us. So that's kind of an interesting point thinking about friends and work and everything else, you know, there's this kind of old corporate mantra of, you know, you shouldn't hire friends, you shouldn't hire, you know, relatives, you shouldn't, you know, do all these different kinds of things. And um, I've been pretty contrary to that, mainly because, you know, when I started the company and I started needing to hire people, it was like, look, we get along really well. I could teach you a few things. You know a few things. We could put that together and make something out of it. And we actually enjoy being together all day. And then I think there's other people who we, you know, I've hired who have become friends who I didn't know before. But but uh, what I'm curious about uh, from your perspective is there's that, hey, you know, we really are friends. We really do like each other. We enjoy hanging out. 
And now, you know, conflict starts to arise. Not conflict like we were talking about earlier where someone needs to be let go, but just situations that need to be dealt with, a little side coffee conversation. How have you dealt with those things and still been able to maintain those relationships where, you know, on Fun Friday, you can still be a part of that as a leader and not feel like you're kind of on an island by yourself? Honestly, I haven't hired any friends or family members. My brother works for me, and I thought that was going to be a, a miserable mistake. I started. I knew he would be great at what he does, but as far as being an employee goes, I thought it was going to be really tough. And he is by far one of our, you know, one of our outstanding team members. Um, and and I love working with him. He's great. But I haven't. I think that we all in our hiring process and in our interviewing process, one of the things we talk about is that we hire adults. We have clear expectations. Everybody knows what's required of them. There's clear workload. We have very clear messaging between, you know, managers and non-managers. I, I, I hate using that term, but there's everybody kind of mm -hmm. knows who's overloaded and who's not, and they know when to raise a red flag and say, I need help. And so we work with adults who can manage their own days, who can manage their own workload who can manage what needs to be done. We haven't really encountered that in a tough situation where somebody has been a friend and I needed to have a talk with them. Um, the people who I would hire as a friend have are very specific and few and far between. I have many friends that will never work for me. I, I'm not just going to hire any friend. It's going to be a very specific type of person who I'm not going to have to have those conversations with. So, so unfortunately I don't have great advice there because I haven't crossed that bridge. Um, but if I did, it would just be a, like you mentioned, a, a, a coffee conversation, a, Hey, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm missing or what I would like to see from you. So one of the things you mentioned there was clear expectations. Um, and that's one of the things that we're kind of uh, wrestling with internally right now, because we're kind of, we, we went through a process, uh, with a company called navigate the journey, uh, called StratOps, kind of like traction, which a lot of people have gone through to help us with some process and organization and things like that. And one of the things that's come out of that is, is kind of having some better metrics around individual roles that I honestly have just not done a, a great job defining over the years. And as a result, we don't have a lot of clarity in some areas that we need it. And, and so now we're in this process of trying to figure out, you know, exactly what time gets logged and how it gets logged to projects and how it's going to be tagged and how we're going to report on that and what the goal is and all these kinds of things so I'm curious how you guys handle that. This is really for my own growth more than it is anybody yeah. else that may be listening. Um, how you handle those like, hey, you're looking back over this week, you did what you were supposed to do. How does somebody on your team know that for sure? Um, so we have our, our what's required of our team is 30 billable hours each week tracked. And so it's actually 30 hours a week tracked. And then I think 24 of those are required to be billable. Six of them can be on internal projects, um, things that get assigned to them that are not necessarily billable. So that's about the only metric we track per individual in our organization. But there's also we use um, in agile methodology. And so we do sprint planning for the design and dev team happens every Monday. And so the expectation is that they clear out their columns of work, their sprint plant, there's, you know, the work, the cards that are in their column need to be done by Friday. So even if that doesn't meet their 30 hours of billable, if it's 40 or if it's 20, it still needs to be finished. So th those expectations are really clear every single Monday morning. And for my, um, for the marketing team, it's a little bit different. They, do sprint planning bi-monthly. So the first and the uh, 16th of every month, and they just need to meet their hours for the week. 
And then they need to make sure that their sprint cards are all completed before the end of the sprint. So we have a lot of clarity and there are granular. So the cards are mostly less than six hour cards. And so there's a lot of granularity in exactly what each person's working on. And we really have a clear picture of how much everybody's sort of producing, which I hate that word, but how much they're producing, how much output is coming out, uh, where they're slow or having issues, um, which cards are bleeding or not, and what we need to have conversations around that. So it happens in a, the sort of the regulation of work happens in a more day-to-day way than anything else, because we're completing cards, asking for reviews and moving them through the, through the funnel to client review and then done and things like that. So I don't think there's a lot of oversight. There's no, there's very rarely a time when I'm looking back through somebody's timesheets and going, Oh geez, you haven't clocked any time for two weeks or whatever it is, because we see the work happening on a day-to-day basis. Right. So it's just kind of as it goes, but for anybody that's listening, if you're not familiar with agile versus waterfall versus every other (laughs) myriad of combinations of project management systems out there, that's probably an entirely separate conversation, but um, you can kind of look it up online. There's totally different methodologies of how things are done. And I think we're in that process of trying to refine and and figure ours out a little bit better. Um, So on your, when they track time on your team, they're tracking really just project time, right? Things that they're actually working on. And then do you define billable versus non-billable or is it just straight time that they're tracking? They track everything except lunch, basically. So if they're in a meeting with a client, it's tracked against the client. If they're checking emails, then they track a little bit of time to each of the clients. They are tracking almost everything that they do. So aside from, you know, walking to get coffee every morning. So um, so we have them track everything, And yes, there is definitely billable versus non-billable time. We have that set up in Harvest. So when we enter a project, they know whether it's not. And then in our, we use Trello to manage the work and the sprints. So in Trello, all the cards that we have in Trello, which are each, each card as a task, basically, uh, we have different labels. So all of the cards are labeled with whether they're billable or non-billable. And that way uh, an employee can look at their column and say, okay, I've got, this many cards and half of them are non-billable, I need to pull some more billable cards so that I can meet my 24 required billable hours for the week or whatever that is. So um, unless there's some sort of pressure to get a new page up on our own website or get something done for another internal project, they'll usually um, manage that. So we have everything task that needs to be done in the backlog column, and then they can pull it into their columns when they're ready to work. Makes sense. So anybody listening, uh, Harvest is a great time tracking app. A lot of people use, allows for all kind of tracking and reporting and everything else. And then Trello uh, is a project management system that uh, operates off of a card system, uh, like Andy was talking about, where you can kind of drag cards around, relabel them, tag them, organize them, report on them, all kind of stuff like that, set up different projects. So if you're looking for uh, some tools out there uh, to do those kind of things, those are uh, very popular, very good tools uh, to use. Um, all right, so we're kind of uh, running out of time, so I want to wrap this up with a kind of a few last things. Um, the biggest one of which is I always like to ask anybody that I'm talking to how you continue to grow personally. Is it reading? Is it podcasts? Is it articles? Is it conferences? Is it some combination of it? What have you found the most helpful in your journey as a leader now that you've 
you know, kind of been around for a while, if you will, in business, and, and you've kind of proven that you can last the test of time, how do you personally manage to keep growing and not get lost in the whirlwind of the day to day? That's an awesome question. I am very much into podcasts and and audiobooks, and so every even dropping my daughter off for school, I immediately switch it over to a podcast as soon as we can change the Taylor Swift off the radio. We do, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I try to always sort of be focusing on the next step of somewhere I want to grow. So for me, you know, this year for me is all about, we're trying to get into a specific niche industry. And so it's learning about that industry, learning about how can I get speaking gigs in that, in their associations and in their industry? How can I write about and learn about and talk about the things that are important to them? Um, and conferences do that as well. So I like conferences that are a mix of meat and potatoes, things you can take back and, and actually act act on. But I also like this sort of inspirational, here's how you should be thinking about things and, and embracing things. So they, me going to a conference is the worst thing that can happen to my team because they call it, they call it Hurricane Andy. When I come back, I've got this long list of we're changing everything. We're going to do this and this and this. So, um, I'm, I'm very much a, I'm not one to what's, what do they say? The moss grows on our, no moss grows on our rolling stone. <laughs> are there any particular conferences that you've gone to that you, you know, go to on a regular basis or you kind of like to mix it up every well, year? I've been going to a lot of the owner stuff lately that I, I think you've been to as well. That stuff is always really good for me. Uh, we go to inbound HubSpot inbound every year. Uh, that's always really enlightening as well. Uh, on Friday, we're actually flying up to New York to go to the Synergy Global Forum and we're going to see Richard Branson and Simon Sinek. And I thought about going to that. Come on up. Gary Vaynerchuk. And, and Gary Vaynerchuk, yeah. Yep. Steve Forbes, Malcolm Gladwell, we, um, Guy Kawasaki. Yeah, I mean, that list is amazing. Yeah. It's like, that literally is like the most amazing list ever. We just got back. I went to LA um, a couple weeks ago. I went to a video uh, conference out there, and uh, Vaynerchuk was speaking out there, and uh, he was great. The guy's got such amazing crowd connection and empathy. He just, he does an amazing job. And then I'm, I'm actually going to New York next month. We're taking our, um, our oldest is about to turn 13. So we're taking him on a surprise kind of rite of passage trip to New York City. So he's, he doesn't know about it yet, but he's going to be super excited. It'll be fun. Oh, that's neat. One of the conferences that I, my team does the exact same thing. They're like, oh gosh, Jay's gone to a conference. He's going to come back with some like grand scheme on how things are going to go. But, but it is interesting because, you know, you go to one of those things, you get a thousand different ideas. And I always feel like if I just come back with a handful of things that 12 months later, I can look back and go, hey, those things had a positive impact on our team in some way. It's probably valuable. And, and it's just, it's neat to have things like that. One of the ones I love to go to is, um, Dave Ramsey has an event called Entree Leadership, and I've gotten a lot of great stuff out of that. He um, just had one not, not long ago, and uh, Simon Sinek was there, and uh, Lou Holtz, and a few others. It was pretty neat. Pretty neat I'll have event. to check that one out. I think I've been getting those emails. I just haven't had a chance to look at it. Their, uh, their summit next year, I think, is in Texas, um, and that event, is it's really spectacularly well done. They do an excellent job. The speakers that they bring in are really good. It's, it's, it's a mix of highly actionable stuff that you can actually take back and implement and just solid motivation to make you feel like, okay, I can, I can show up and, and keep doing what I'm doing and, and maybe do it a little bit better. Um, really, this podcast and even the book that I'm writing now are a result of me going to entrepreneurship this summer because they're things I've always said I wanted to do, but I just didn't have time to do. And now I'm like, all right, I'm just going to do them, you know, <laughs> and we'll see how it works yeah, out. So Definitely. Uh, anything else that you would like to leave folks with that kind of parting advice that's worked for you, not worked for you, or, or just, um, you know, pieces of business that have helped you build a business that's lasted over time? 
I feel, I don't know, maybe it's turning 40 that's kind of launched me into this position, but I, I feel like the authenticity of who I am and, and learning to acknowledge my weaknesses has been one of the best things and most liberating things that I've done in the past few years. And I wish that I had come to that and admitted the things I wasn't good at a lot earlier and asked for help. I was so stubborn and strong-willed and I just knew I could figure things out, which I did, but I think I would have been farther along if I had just said, I need some help in this area, in this area, and hey, I'm falling down here. Um, So I think that learning to be confident in running a business, I think this sounds crazy, but as much as I love all the owner camps and owner summits, hearing people talk and I... I, I still think people sort of gloss things up just a little bit to to sound good. Uh, made me put me in a little p- bit of a position where I was comparing myself too frequently to others instead of really embracing here's who I am and where I'm at and the help that I need. Uh, so that would be my advice: is really embrace and 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 feel comfortable in being an authentic owner or authentic person in in whatever it is you're doing and ask yeah. for help when you do need it. Yeah, it is kind of that you do you. You know, I always joke, you know, people say the early bird gets the worm, but I don't like to get up early. So I joke that the that's the early bird only gets the worm if the night owl doesn't get it first. <laughs> but that's just me. You know, like it doesn't make it right or wrong. It doesn't mean you have to stay up late and work. It doesn't mean you have to get up early and work like you do you. And, and if it's working, then keep doing that and don't feel the pressure to go, OK, well, so and so is doing X, Y and Z. We have to do that. Um, and I think that I love that whole thought process of what you're saying there of authenticity and, and even kind of this self-awareness idea um, is just hugely important. And it has been for me over the last, really the last year. Um, and I hope I keep uh, growing in that same direction that yeah, you definitely. are. Definitely. Well, Andy, thank you so much for being on the show today. I hope some of our conversation is helpful to others out there who are listening and uh, really helps them uh, wherever they're at in their business journey to keep growing, improving, and, uh, and build a business that lasts. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, Andy. thanks, Jay. I hope this episode has given you some ideas or inspiration that will help you grow your business. If you found it helpful and you know somebody else who might benefit from it as well, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take the time to share this with them, maybe on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, or even shoot an email over to a friend uh, with a link to this podcast in it. And if you haven't already, make sure you sign up for our email list at buildingabusinessthatlasts.com.